Digital 410 Productions proudly presents What's the Scuttlebutt Podcast with your host, Don Abner. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. I'm your host, Don Abernathy, and first and foremost, let me welcome those of you that are new to the podcast. Now, I know there are some of you who are new to the podcast. Well, about three weeks ago, we did a very um, well-detailed, very thought-out advertising campaign on Facebook. We advertised to the middle of the country. And uh, to a certain particular age group with uh, certain likes and hobbies. And it worked. We picked up probably a hundred new likes through a simple four-day advertising campaign. And so I'm sure some of you, this is your first episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. And I just want to say welcome. And I want to give you all a little preview of what we do here. We say it is your favorite World War II-based podcast. And what we mean by that is we try to do things World War II based here. Of course, we like to interview veterans if they're all at all. Of course, we like to interview veterans, which as you know, time is of the essence on that. It's getting harder and harder to find um, veterans who are able and willing to talk, but they don't have to be veterans. You know, anybody who is alive during that time that you may know, whether they were 10 at the time, 12, they may not have been old enough to go off and fight the war, but they were around the home front. They saw what was going on. They heard the radio. They saw how it impacted their communities, their parents, their families. And so whether it's somebody who was alive during that time or if we're lucky enough, someone who was over there. And by the way, if you go back to our archives and listen to an early episode, I actually interviewed a gentleman who was from Germany. He was a German resident, about six years old at that time. And it was very interesting to get his perspective of what his family went through as German residents during the war. And so once again, it doesn't have to be a war vet, which we'd love to have. But if you know anybody who was alive at that time who might want to get their story down on record, please send us an email at info at WTSPWorldWar2.com. Simply send us a name, contact information, whether it's that person or a family member of theirs, a neighbor, what have you. And we will do our best to set up a phone interview. If they're here in Florida, we'll drive up and do it in person. But please don't hesitate to send us the information and we'll try to get someone um, in touch with them and get an interview set up. So not only do we try to interview vets and those who are around at the time, but obviously we interview living historians because who better to share this information than people who spend all their free time studying up on World War II, people who dedicate a lot of money and energy to World War II, and more importantly, people who go out to schools, air shows, museums, what have you, anywhere we're welcome for that matter, to share the history of World War II with the community and to the newer generations. We try to preserve history and keep the thought alive. I think if you're listening to this podcast, most of us will agree every day for us is Memorial Day. And uh, so we're just here trying to keep the history of World War II alive. And not only that, I, I do interview other military vets, whether they're Gulf War, Vietnam, you know. So if you know any other military vets who are interested in getting their story out there, don't have to be World War II, Korean, Vietnam, Gulf War, Operation Iraqi Freedom, what have you. Anybody who's interested in sharing their military history here, 
will be more than welcome and thrilled to interview you and share your story with our audience. Once again, email us info at WTSPWWII.com. And so we also interview authors. Go to our webpage, WTSPRoleWar2.com. There's authors in the interview section. Um, vendors, we have a great interview with the, hist- uh, the historian from the John Deere Company. Talked about all the um, work contributions done by John Deere during World War II. We have a fantastic interview, if you guys haven't heard it, with the historical Springfield Armory site. We talk about the history of the Springfield Armory, how it was founded by George Washington all the war contributions, all the way up to the day they closed down and somebody bought the name, sold it into the private sector, that got sold again, and they make the Springfield Armory firearms you know today. It's not one and the same. All those can be found on our website, but to be honest with you, there's 65 episodes up there. It's going to take you a lot of time to sort through that and download it manually. So what I would suggest is simply if you're an Apple user or an iTunes user, Look for the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast or WTSP World War II on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, if you're an Android person, uh, Google Music, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, any place podcasts are available, you can find us, subscribe, it'll download automatically, you can listen in your car, I think most people do, that's where I listen to the podcast since I listen to, wow, I can't talk, that's why I think it's a, the coronavirus is getting to me, oh, wow. The world's going insane on that, aren't we? be more honest with you, I'm more concerned about uh, what's going to do to our economy. Everything's getting shut down. I was supposed to have a savage race on Sunday, but that just got canceled. But uh, I digress. So uh, if you're new to the show, welcome. Please enjoy. Please share us with your friends. And if you have comments, suggestions, something you want to hear us talk about, a company you think we should interview, I've reached out to the fine people at Dickies. I haven't heard anything back. I tried to get somebody on from K-Bar. I haven't heard back. I've tried to get somebody on from Hormel Foods to talk about spam. Still working on that. I'm going to reach out to find people at Hershey. So I got things in the work. You know, the, the show comes along depending on who wants to come on. So if you have suggestions, comments, you want to be on the show. You you know history. You want to share your knowledge with our audience. Same email, info at WTSPWorldWar2.com. And before we bring Jerry Oxley on from part two of the Mountain Dora event where we interviewed him in the cab of my truck, I just want to say uh, one of the things I started last week, which I'm going to continue because there seems to be great success with it. It's a feature on the What's the Scuttlebutt page called, um, it's kind of a dumb title because everybody does this, but because we primarily focus on audio here, I started a page on our site called um, History Through Photos. I was looking around the studio, looking through all my gear, and I realized I have a lot of cool original stuff here. And one of the items I just picked up was a Tasso Company 1942 canteen with the early Bakelite cap. And that's what stood out from this thing. And when it, I saw it at the antique store, it was the cap that caught my eye because it wasn't the Bakelite cap we're all used to that has the concave center and the corrosion-resistant chain. This is a flat top. It almost looks like a plastic cork or a Bakelite cork, and it had a rusted chain on it. So the price was right. It was like 20 bucks. came with a cup. Um, and I picked it up, and I started doing some research on it, and I found out it's the Aluminum Cooking Utensil Company. 
And the crazy thing about that is, through research, I found out they originally started in uh, New Kingston, Pennsylvania, 1901 to 1966. But 1966 to 1987, their headquarters moved to Chillicothe, Ohio. Now, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. My aunt and uncle were school teachers in Chillicothe from the mid-80s up to the 90s. And so I reached out to my aunt and I said, hey, did you know anybody who worked for the aluminum cooking utensil company? And she was like dumbfounded. She said, where, in Chillicothe? I'm like, yeah. She's like, no, um, not at all. Matter of fact, we did have people at my church, but they worked for the Westray Corporation, and that was the aluminum company, Jill Coffee. Well, through further research, it turns out that the newly formed Westray Corporation, they basically acquired, that's my daughter singing in the bathroom in the background, but anyhow, they, they acquired the um, aluminum cooking utensil company. So it's kind of crazy here. I'm living in Florida 2020 and I find a canteen that was made in 1942 by a company that was acquired by another company whose headquarters was in Chillicothe, Ohio, which was a super small town back then. And turns out some of the employees there went to church with my aunt. But anyhow, very cool high definition photos, took them well lit. Um, you can see some great detail on this canteen. All can be found under the history through photos page. I got new photos I'm going to put up sometime over the next day of some other items. I think I might do another canteen. I have a porcelain canteen I want to try to do some research on, but um, that's going to continue. So go to WTSPWorldWar2.com for that. And uh, one more thing, actually two more things. While you're at WTSPWorldWar2.com, if you can please click on that big, beautiful orange Patreon link on the right-hand side, or if you're on your smartphone, you got to scroll all the way to the bottom, click on that Patreon link. And if you could please sign up, I know everybody wants you to sign up for this and that. It's a dollar a month for our first tier. All three tiers get you access to the same content, the same exclusive content, gives you the same access to the exclusive podcast we have up on Patreon. Um, a lot of, we are currently working on mass production of decals. I've been giving them away for free to the people on Patreon to test them out, let us know what they think. So you get access to free stuff. Um, on my other podcast, when we're giving away free sunglasses, I give them away to free to the Patreons. We call them the OG5. Go to Patreon, sign up for the Dollar Month Club. If you really like us, you can sign up for the $3.50 a month club. And if you love us, by all means, sign up for the Long Arms Deep Pocket Plan, $7.50 a month. After month two, you get a free t-shirt, any t-shirt of your choosing from our store. And that will go a long way to help us out. And while we're talking on helping us out, let's get the one and only plug out of the way at computers. I cannot express to you the importance of backing up your data online. I know what you're saying, Don, I don't need to back up online. I've got a great Seagate hard drive. It backs up every single night. Well, that's great for hard drive failures. But what about ransomware? Ransomware is on the rise. Now, I'm not reading this from a script. This is all coming from my head because I've spent the last two weeks recovering a company from ransomware. Their server got it and four of their 13 computers got it. Luckily, we caught it before all of them got founded or encrypted or ransomed or whatever you want to call it. But luckily, they took advantage of the At Computers Online backup. And after we reformatted their hard drives, reinstalled Active Directory, and got everything back up and downloaded all 973 gigs of their hard drive space, their business is back up and running. And all for $0.07 cents a gig per month. So give At Computers a call at 239-283-1120. Say the word podcast, and they will hook you up with online backup for $0.07 cents a gig per month for the entire year, probably for in perpetuity. Give them a call. Or hit them up on Facebook 
send them a message, simply say podcast, or tell you what, email us at info at WTSPWorldWar2.com and say the word podcast and give us your phone number and we will pass along at computers. They'll give you a call and they will hook you up with our online backup, seven cents a gig per month. And as you say, well, I already got Mosey, I already got Carbonite, what have you. That's fine. That's cool. We just want you to back your stuff up. We want you to be safe. But if you are having other computer problems and you don't live here in Southwest Florida, but you have working internet, give at computers a call at 239-283-1120. Tell them you need some help. They will log in, whether it's printer issue, weird anomalies, what have you. As long as you have internet connection, they can log into your computer and help you remotely. Give them a call at 239-283-1120. Thank you guys so much. And here's part two from the Mount Dora event. And we are back post-battle. I was walking over here with our next guest. Uh, his name's come up a few times on the show. You've seen him on the videos. But I was walking over here, and I was having flashbacks to my radio days when we'd set up behind a rock concert and been doing an all-day show and constantly bringing new people back, new guests back for uh, interviews. So joining us now, Mr. Jerry Oxley. Jerry, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Having a great day. Speak right into that microphone for me. i got it turned down low so Is we that better? get a lot of feedback. Perfect. Okay. So how are you? Doing great. Had a um, spectacular day at uh, doing a reactment with, I think, five tanks and a couple cannons. And a long time. That son of a bitch was loud. So you're relatively new to the world of reenacting. You've been doing it for, what, three to four years now? <laughs> Nowhere close. So two years and three months. Seems like I've known you longer than that. We've done a lot of things together since then. <laughs> yes, we have. I gotta tell you, your at least my perception of your entrance into this hobby is very cool and noble. And that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You probably won't after that build up. But I, if I remember correctly, your son caught interest in it went back when John Thomas was running the group, and he wanted to go out and uh, do an event. And uh, you enjoy spending a lot of time with your son, and so you kind of tagged along, and we threw you in a uniform, and you got bit by the reenacting bug after one event. Is that um, about right? That's exactly right. My son, which is Joshua, he went to a few reenactments in Illinois, and he was told he had to wait till he was 13. Ugh. So here in Florida, he turned 13, and he says, Dad, I'm 13. Let me join a, um, a squad. Yep, and he chose a good squad to join because one of the nice things John did, and I owe him a huge debt of gratitude. I was going to say a debt of gratitude. I owe him a huge debt of gratitude, and that is like most people, when we're building an impression, uh, we usually build the uniform first because you can piecemeal it out and it's the least expensive part compared to the, the weapon. And so I put a Marine Corps impression together, and I went out and got a Denix Thompson because I couldn't afford a, a a Springfield at the time, and if it wasn't for John, I wouldn't have done any battle reenactments, but because of the inventory he had, and his mission at that time was to find people who were interested in the hobby, who wanted to kind of fill it out before they made that initial investment, he would have gear, and he would outfit them, well, I had my own gear, I didn't need to outfit in that matter, but I didn't have a, a rifle, and so he would let me borrow his, and Mike Blaski, who's been on the show, he did the same thing at the Marine Corps Tactical, my first one, he let me use his trench gun, he didn't have to do that. He loaned his uh, his rifle to another reenactor. He did the whole tactical without a live firing weapon because he allowed other people to use his equipment. And it's because of guys like that who really help people who are kind of interested but not quite sure. And so John was one of the guys who helped, you know, 
loan your son some gear until you know you guys decide if this is something you really want to get into and i gotta say you didn't jump in both feet you did a cannonball at the high dive yeah that's absolutely true it's one of those things where i've heard a few people on your show say they once they got bit they got bit really hard i was definitely one of those how'd your wife feel about that at first so she w- did not say much at first, but once we started to get more involved, <laughs> she was actually very supportive, and mainly because my father was a World War II veteran, and she thought it was great that father and son were going out sure. and paying tribute to my father and all the other World War II comrades. My better half was, well, I started almost seven or eight years ago. Um, not that she's in the cosplay, but cosplay wasn't as widely accepted back then either. So when I got into it, she kind of was embarrassed a little bit, I think. She didn't say that, but I kind of, you know, oh, he, he's out at some reenactment thing. Or you're wearing a uniform out in public? Why can't you dress when you get there? Actually, she said to me last night, I was leaving, I put on my M43 and my, my T-shirt. She's like, why can't you change and get there? I'm like, that's just more crap to haul with me. But after, you know, after a while, she she realized it wasn't just adult men wanting to go play army like we did when we were kids which there is a little aspect of that but when she actually saw the passion that came along with it and the knowledge and then seeing me not only doing the reenactments but all my free time if i had a book in my hand it was a world war ii book and she gets it now but at first i think she's a little embarrassed to tell people (laughs) that i was involved in this sort of hobby to be honest with you i am also i when i we people ask so you have all this world war ii stuff for what and they said, do you do um, uh, reenactments? And I go, well, I do. But a lot of people look at it as cosplay. I absolutely do not do it for the cosplay. Just sure. getting out here and running around and shooting guns, that is not the reason why I do it. Yeah, you're a living historian. Uh, absolutely. So trying to recreate the memories and uh, what it was like to live in that era. Uh, the, what makes it worthwhile to me is countless times, uh, probably at least a dozen, when a World War II veteran or a Korean that. veteran would come up to me and uh, ask, hey, do you mind if I pick up that M1 Garen? Mm-hmm. And you let them hold it. They don't say a word. And everything just kind of gets quiet. And for about 30 seconds, they they remember all of the good things and none of the bad and they hand it back to you with a tear in their eye and say thank you i really appreciate that um or they say i don't remember being quite so heavy (laughs) that is true they've said that before too and you know we all at least when we first get started you know first time i went down to naples to do uh, the naples event that no longer exists for us unfortunately when i my very first event, when I was walking across the parking lot in my Marine Corps gear, I kind of felt kind of goofy. You know, I felt kind of like, you know, a little a little kind of embarrassed. But after two or three times now, it's like, I don't even care. And kind of what you're saying, it makes it all worth it to me um, today. Not even World War II, but we're coming down off the hill and guy, Army hat, probably served in early 80s. Shook my hand and said, thank you guys for what you're doing. So even though it doesn't represent the Army that he knew... It still represents the Army, the history, and the military, and we're kind of helping to um, 
bring it to the new generation because we've said it so many times on this show, but it, it bears be, to be repeated. Especially nowadays, um, we live in an interactive world, and if you want your kids to learn history, and I'm not even talking about eight-year-olds, I'm talking about 16, 17-year-olds too, um, sitting them down and having them watch a book, they're not interested. Um, bring them out to the environment like this where they can pick and touch and hold and talk to, hear, see, smell. Don't get me wrong, ladies and gentlemen, if you've never been around 80-year-old web gear, it smells. <laughs> Uh, I brought that sleeping bag sh uh, shell, and Carrie got it. She's like, this thing stinks. I was like, yep, because <laughs> that's the smell of history. And it does. It has a smell. And I, I just had a flashback. Back when I first started watching American Pickers, uh, he was out. And um, it was either American Pickers or Antique Roadshow. Wow, one of the old ones. But anyhow, so when somebody went to see if something was authentic in that reproduction, I think they smelt it. And the person's like, what are you smelling for? Is it because the real the real history has a smell to it. And especially military, you know, the, the tents, the web gear and all that. You can tell if it's reproduction or real simply by the waterproof chemical smell that, that all the original stuff has. Especially tent canvas. What'd your boy do? We're, we're sitting in the truck here, and I see your son limping across the field. Did he get hurt during the event? You know, it's not uncommon that someone doesn't get hurt in some way. Yep. Not necessarily really bad, but usually every event someone gets some type of uh, injury. Yep, I so we were up on a large hill, and we were given the command to uh, charge down and take cover. Mm -hmm. And he stepped in a pile of leaves, and there he went and uh, sprang, sprung his ankle. Yeah, he and I almost shared a, uh, an injury in Georgia. Um, we were coming back on the half track, and he and I made the mistake <laughs> of sitting up on the wall edge. Not the half track. We were at a half track today, but the deuce and a half. And the driver, he hit a bump or something, and both your son and I, we both fell out of the truck. Only thing still in the truck were our feet and our knees. And luckily, the people sitting next to us had quick enough reflexes that but they grabbed both of us and pulled us back into the truck but we literally almost went ass over tea kettle out the back of that deuce and a half yeah i was there sitting right in front of you and yeah. not only did he hit a bump but he was turning real sharp yep. at the same time and we were moving at a pretty good clip too because you know those old trucks man with the double clutch and all that once you pick up speed you try to maintain that momentum to minimize the amount of shifting you have to do so you have a pretty nice collection of history i know one of your crown jewels which unfortunately you're not quite set up with the trailer yet and so you're limited on the mobility of it but you do own a jeep correct yes i do what year is that a 1942 ford gpw nice how did you uh I, well obviously you came across that because somebody was selling it but um what's i mean i've only set eyes on it once or twice what's the condition is it rust free does it need work it r runs fine of course, it's a Jeep, so it does have sure. a few leaks. Um, most everything on it is original, so it doesn't look cherry like all the Jeeps we've seen today. Yeah. Because mine's got original canvas seats, original canvas top. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much across the board, everything's original. So um, it's it's in great working order, but it is a it is a very big ordeal to load it up yep. and drive it th three hours to an mm -hmm. event so that's why i didn't make it this weekend with mm -hmm. it uh probably will bring it in two weeks yeah and plus i mean at a military vehicle preservation society show you would just have one amongst 20 other ones whereas at some other events it's 
it'll be more appreciated because it'll be one of the few there and so it'll be used more and just be more of a centerpiece whereas here just blend in and it really kind of gets in the way of what you're trying to achieve this weekend with doing the event and the nice thing about this area and you and i did i did this one with you two years ago i think it was um i like the hill uh, the fact that we start at the top of the hill and that's kind of what happened to your son and it happened to me two years ago and i was actually warning somebody today we florida boys we don't have the opportunity too often to reenact on anything but a flat surface and so when you're coming down the hill and you're not quite used to the momentum in which you pick up and then you hit a patch of leaves or a tank rut or in my case i end up bouncing off of a tree because it's the only way i can stop my forward momentum it kind of changes up the game but for the spectators it's nice because they don't see us standing in the corner waiting to move we're up at the top of the crest of the hill and so for them it's just a hillside until the action kicks off and that's one of the nice things about this area yeah absolutely and the hill actually gives a better view for the spectators yeah absolutely because they're not at eye level you know it's kind of like if you've ever been to a hockey game being down on the ice is cool but you really don't get to see the whole the whole rink whereas if you're by row 7 14 you get a better view of the whole area well this is kind of that same thing but tilt the hockey rink on an angle so now instead of just you know like you said it just gives them a, almost a reverse bird's eye view because we're actually up in front of them instead of at eye level yeah, absolutely so when it comes to all this stuff um the we had a great time at the army birthday was it last year a couple months ago oh I do about 10 stuff. months ago yeah. and we've been invited again fantastic same place same place as far as i know i don't know what the theme will be this year though i i'm going to be willing to bet i could be wrong but i'm going to go on a limb and if i'm wrong email me at info at wtsp world war com. i'm going to say jerry oxley is one of the only few persons in history to set up hedgehogs in the lobby of a Hilton. <laughs> I would say you're probably correct there. And I would say I'm probably one of the few to walk through the lobby of a Hilton with a um, M1919-30 <laughs> cal on my shoulder and not get arrested by the police. I would say that was an awesome picture, too. Yeah, that's still my Twitter profile. I still look back at that day. I think there was four of us. Yep. And it took us at least four hours to set up. If you guys haven't seen that video, go to YouTube, look up Digital 410, and go through the archives. We got a time-lapse footage of us building the uh, hedgehogs in the lobby. And out of respect, I'm sure they wouldn't care, but, you know, Jerry and I were talking. You know what? This is their, this is the real deal. This is the real military. This is the real army. I'm not going to sit here and film all these people on their Sunday. But there's like a two-second shot of some. I wasn't going to walk around as they're all milling about. But kind of what we were talking about before you know some people think reenacting cosplay or goofy or silly but when you have the real deal whether they're vets or active duty people especially in an environment like the um, birthday dinner for the army when they come up and thank you and are completely floored at the presentation in which you presented on their behalf once again it just makes it all worth it yeah i would say the modern day military uh, veterans Mm -hmm. And the ones that have, you know, recently retired, they really want to be remembered. Yep. Whether it be World War II, Vietnam, or modern day. So they are very, very appreciative of it. Um, 
when we had our display, we took the effort to make history cards for most of the items. I'm going to say at least 50 to 75 history cards we had for every single item on display. So many of the current day military officers went and read them. Not yeah. just looked at them, read them. They were very, very appreciative. And it's things like that that keep me motivated to want to continue um, sharing memories of that uh, greatest generation. Absolutely. And, you know, it's kind of interesting whenever a new movie or World War II themed video game comes out, um, we, we kind of see a little increase in the um, child um, attendance at these sort of things. And then you'll see, you'll, they go and have a flow, and then sometimes it's older people, and sometimes they're dragging their kid and their grandkids out, and you can kind of see they don't want to be there. And then, um, but when that new Call of Duty comes out or the new movie comes out, then they, they're not so reluctant to come around. So, you know, it's funny. You know, I don't get it. We all say we want to be reenactors. We want to preserve history and educate and, and get people's interest. But I've heard so many reenactors and living historians refer to Band of Brothers as Bandwagon of Brothers. <laughs> it's like, well, they did what we're all trying to do. They got a huge audience of people to have interest in the history of World War II, which, yes, I get it. There's a couple of years where every third reenactor was dressed up in 101st Airborne, but... And you can say that for you what it wants, but you can't overlook the fact that it was a damn good series and it accomplished what we're all trying to do, which is to get the word and to preserve history. I mean, if anything, that show definitely preserved a lot of, lot of guys and a lot of history. Absolutely. And it's one of the things that it's a great father-son uh, memories that will last forever. We have made so many boxes and uh, maps out of wood with scroll saws and um, we would make the history cards together and, and we would plan out displays so it, it's an event that we can share and have memories for the rest of his life and my life but we're also taking the time to learn about history and bring it to the public so they can see it again. Now, you have another piece in your arsenal that I'm quite jealous of. But I'm going to go take a shot in the dark and say strictly based on the weight of a thing that it won't see too many events, and that is your mortar. Tell me a little bit about the mortar, if you don't mind. Yeah, they are quite difficult to find. Uh, it's an M81, so it's a 80, um, it's 81 millimeter mortar. You see the 60 they have here? The little uh, tiny one? Yeah. Um, this one, I think the base plate is 110 pounds, the tube is 110, and the legs are um, also about 100. So, um, also we have the backpack that goes with it. But can you, it, can you imagine no. the team that carries the mortar, the mortar shells, and the base plate... Uh, and they still have carbines. So I believe that uh, on D-Day, for instance, the uh, mortar squad had a team of three. And they'd split up the three heavy pieces, and each one of them would take two or three mortar rounds. Everyone would bring a carbine. As scary as it is, the thing about coming off of a landing craft, especially in the Pacific with the high tides and the nape tide and all that, the fear level goes to the roof when you're the guy carrying the 110-pound base plate. 
plus your rifle. It's it's one thing to carry, you know, a bar or M1919 in your ammo, plus all your other gear, but just to have that literal brick of weight, it's just, I don't know, I just couldn't even imagine. Another thing to consider is this. All three of you need to carry your share, and on D-Day, we all well know that there's a, not a very good chance that all three will make it off the landing craft. So, if one of your comrades don't make it you have to pick the the weight their share and keep it going so otherwise you're landing on the beach with a base plate and no no artillery piece exactly it's just it's just crazy that the one they actually have for sale here it's not milled it's it's full set ready to go and has a sign saying you need the federal firearms license and yada 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 you had um they had a few Panzerfaust over there was kind of cool to look at too but nice thing about this event um, since it's the Military Vehicle Preservation Society, it's, well, it's a military car show and a reenactment built in one. So if you needed a part for your Jeep, I'm sure you could find it here. Um, there's web gear galore out there. There's helmets. There's everything you could buy of all eras. It's, it's definitely a place that you can walk around and uh, increase your collection on, on your way home for sure. That's absolutely true, but since the Jeeps, they made so many, yep. there are a lot of online Jeep companies mm -hmm. that um, have parts that, that should keep all Jeeps working that are still available for 20 or 30 more years. We spoke about Mike Blosky earlier. He had a Jeep, and he had to do research on it because he thought it was mickey mouse so much the thing had three on a tree it was one of the, the <laughs> rare three on the trees it didn't actually have the stick shift and now you talk about a salty dog i mean that thing was he basically got it running and painted it and took it to events and it looked like a battle-worn jeep i mean it had holes in the panels and all that stuff but it for what we we're using it for it it definitely served the role but i think he got to the point where he just didn't have the time or the interest to lovingly restored so he ended up moving it on to somebody else but that that jeep was definitely interesting with the three on the tree well sir you were in for a nice joyous cold night tonight yeah but you planned ahead you brought a, a fancy tent there yeah so we brought an arctic tent um this will be our first time trying to use it, but I tell you what, right now inside that tent, it is hot. Oh, I can imagine. I'm just looking at it thinking, I hope it don't fall over because we kind of guessed on how to set it up. And I I gave it my good college try. I didn't go to college, by the way. <laughs> and uh, But it stayed up in the wind all day. And so, unfortunately, I'm going to be tearing down here soon. i got to go run some Cat 6 wire in the morning. So um, I won't be able to participate in the fun tomorrow. But, um, uh yeah, that tent should keep it pretty good. Um, I slept in the uh, the tent with the Georgia boys last night, and the cold didn't bother me. Like I said, I had my four wool blankets. I had that uh, sleeping bag shell. kept me warm. But what I've discovered at the age of 41, my body on the hard ground is only good for about five hours. <laughs> and we went to sleep around 11 o'clock last night, which is kind of early for an event, but it's so cold we can't sit out and talk and do the normal stuff. You know, some of the Germans have bonfires but they're not exactly the most sociable people <laughs> but uh so we crashed out early and i woke up around 4 30 this morning and i laid and tossed and turned and i knew my tire has a slow leak in it and it really drops real quick with the cold air so i 
got up and went up the street to racetrack and lo and behold the tire pressure gauge was on and I was down to 10 pounds of pressure in my rear tire. Luckily the racetrack's only two miles up the road. But I came back here and I was sitting in my car and I just dozed off. I fell asleep until Second Armor got out and started doing their morning, um, you know, whatever they do. Their, uh, what's that in, uh, in school when you, you're... Uh, Pep rally, everybody's going up there and doing oh. all their stuff. So they, when they fell in, was doing their thing. That's when they woke me up and was like, huh? But um, definitely a good weekend. I'm glad I came, to be honest with you. I forgot all about it. I've been so busy everything else. I forgot about the event until you texted me on Thursday. Say said, thank you so much for texting me and uh, reminding me to get out here. And we made it happen. Well, before I forget, two weeks, we have Dave Battlefield. That one's more of a living history only because, mm -hmm. as you've said in a previous episode, Something happened in Florida to where we're no longer allowed to shoot modern uh, blanks at uh, state-owned or federally-owned uh, grounds. I don't know. Sometimes I think it's kind of a... I almost, to give the state the benefit of the doubt, I almost feel like with the, the way things are going and the way people's perception of firearms, I almost think it's just a logistical thing that when you have an event and we don't place up all the brass all the way, and then five days later, somebody calls the cops because they see spent shell casings. They don't know their blanks, and the cops have to spend time send people out there. All oh, their blanks now wasting my time. And I almost wonder if it's just a logistical thing, it's just like you know, it's just not worth the hassle. I don't know. I'm just trying to put a positive spin on it. I'm hoping that something is probably something a little more nefarious. But unfortunately, it's uh, you know, sadly, as we've said in the past, a lot of people don't want to come if there's no pop, pop, bang, bang. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but I enjoy the other events just mm -hmm. as much because there we can set up static displays and really show off history a little bit more. Yeah. So i got a question for you. Sure. You are uh, always the one asking questions, okay. and we all learn about all of the people that uh, you're interviewing. But uh -huh. what is it that keeps you motivated? You've been doing this for a little over two years? Podcast? About, oh, the podcast, yeah, I am. So uh, what keeps your motivation? Two years and two months. Um, I don't know. I always tell people I have an unexplainable, unquenchable thirst for all knowledge of World War II. Obviously, doing this, it kind of gives me access to, which, by the way, if you guys know vets, Korean, World War II, or otherwise, email us at info at worldwar2.com so we can interview some more. Um, the access it gives me to interviewing vets, um, and just to share, I mean, I'm not, I'm there's like 200,000 podcasts out on iTunes alone. I'm sure there's a few more reenactor-based, World War II-based podcasts. I haven't come across any. And, you know, th those of you who do listen to the show, whenever I meet you at events like this, you guys thank me for what I'm doing. And it just, it's another outlet. It allows me to just dig a little deeper. And kind of like I was talking to Mr. Brown earlier, um, I try to, like with my interviews, I interviewed the, the archivist for the John Deere, Motor, uh, John Deere Company. He provided a lot of information I had never heard before. And so I try to set up interviews and come up with things that tell a new version of old history, stuff that we haven't heard on every or seen on every other channel of Discovery or Military Channel and all that. Um, I've been working. I've reached out to the people at Dickies because they made uniforms. They ha haven't got back to I even the fine people at Hormel, I'm trying to get, uh, let's learn about spam. Haven't heard back from them. K-Bar, haven't heard back from them. Um, so I just, I try to find something interesting and just try to share it. And I, I like to give you guys, reenactors, an outlet too. To, um, 
because obviously I don't know everything about everything. I know a little bit about certain things. PTO is my my strong point, but by interviewing other reenactors, who who knows the history better other than college professors? And so who better to help share the knowledge that I don't know and to educate me than to bring guys on and to share their history? That sounds great. So what was it that made you do the deep dive to what made you which made you the level of historian that you are today oh oh like i said multiple times before this whole thing with me started with an m1 helmet okay growing up in ohio uh, my best friend's dad was a gunny gunny sergeant in the marine corps but back when i was you know that was an elementary school then obviously middle school and high school i was i was a little punk like everybody else and i didn't gain an appreciation for military until i was like 25 26 and i'll admit it i've Band of Brothers got me interested, and then I started reading books. Actually, World War II is what got me leisure reading. Um, I, grew, I have a learning disability. Um, grew up. Um, I didn't have to take the higher proficiency test in math and reading because I, I tell people I'm like a broken radio. And if you go back and listen to the early podcast when I'm like reading, you could tell I'm like horrible at it. But as time's gone by and I do it, I'm so much better at it. But um, I tell people I'm like a broken radio receiver. I can read at a college level. But if I read it out loud, it's like the radio gets the signal, but the speakers are staticky and they, they broadcast are weird. And and so because of my learning disability, I did not like to read. But um, one year for Christmas, somebody got me a Barnes & Noble gift card. I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this? I don't like books. And I was living in LA, uh, Long Beach, California at the time. And I was going through the L.A. airport, and there was a Barnes & Noble in the airport. And there was a book... Uh, we who are alive and remain the untold story of the band of brothers it was about the people that weren't talked about in the series and so i bought it and i read the whole thing through and then i went out and got another world war ii book another world war ii book and then um one day i was just going through ebay and i bought an m1 helmet and it showed up in the mail and first thing well this thing's heavy and i sat on my desk it was cool to look at and then people come to my house and pick it up and, and i discovered just by having that that people who weren't formally interested in the topic, whether it's for 30 seconds or 10 minutes, because of something as simple as a helmet in their hand and, and the weight of it, it just all of a sudden, now that, you know, for the time that we're having that conversation, they're just interested in it. And it took me about a year and a half to put together my first impression, which was uh, Marine Corps. And at the time, there was no Marine Corps events really going on. So that was a logistical mistake on my part. But that's when I found, found John, and, you know, he taught me in doing first ID. And it's just, it's just, like like you said, it's a bug, man. Once you get bit by it, you know, I I don't, I don't believe in reincarnation, but sometimes it makes you wonder. <laughs> it's like, what is it about this? You know, I don't have the same passion. People's, you know, there's a lot of cats here who do Civil War, and other reenactments. I just don't have an interest in it because well, I don't know the history of it, and I really, you know, it's not that I. You know, I've watched World War, uh, Civil War stuff. I just, it it just doesn't bite me like World War II does. I just can't explain what it is about this campaign. I think it's the mystique of the ultimate story of evil versus good. And so many movies that have happened since World War II are based upon uh, World War II. Yeah. Star Wars, Stormtroopers, mm-hmm. um, a lot of uh, Captain America obviously sure. uh, fought uh, against the Nazis, etc. So I think that's a lot of the reason. But when I grew up, uh, my father was very, very, very patriotic. Now, 
I, I'm not saying I was or wasn't, but I was with him a lot. Yeah. So twice a month we'd go to the American Legion to attend meetings. We would uh, put out flags every year. I would help make hamburgers at the American uh, Legion event uh, for you know the various ones we had. Um, so it was just part of my life, but I really didn't look uh, at... Um, the need to preserve history. So, I think what happened is after my father passed away, and I inherited one of his, he brought back a lot of uh, souvenirs uh, from the war. And at that point in time, I remembered a story he told me once, and he only told me uh, told me this once. And he looked at me, and he said, "Son." I fought in Africa, I fought in the beaches in Normandy, I fought in the Mount of the Bulge, and I fought in Germany. Wow. And he goes, so you don't have to serve, because I have done my share for you. Sure. But if you choose not to serve, I expect you to honor those that have served. So, after he passed away, that's when it hit me. And I decided that, you know what, this is how I want to serve and honor is to preserve the memories of that greatest generation. I'm going to give you a story, if it's okay. By all means. Um, my dad had many, many stories. Um, my favorite one was this. So he was a Bailey Bridge Builder, um, which is um, a bridge that was put over a river so tanks could cross. Mm -hmm. So my father was actually very old in World War II. On D-Day, he was 24. Wow. So when you're 24 on D-Day, or when, when you uh, were 24 in World War II, you were typically given more uh, task-like engineering tasks. Uh, if you were 17 or 18 or 19, you were typically more infantry. The reason why those that uh, grew up on the farm, they usually have already developed a skill set. So that's where they put my dad. Anyway, so he uh, um, was in front of the tank crews so he could put bridges across the rivers before um, uh, to be built just in time for the tanks to cross. Uh, one day he was driving down the road in his deuce and a half, uh, which had all of his uh, Bailey Bridge um, components in there, and he saw a captain sitting on a stump or a log. I don't remember exactly how he said it. And he was crying with his head down, so he got out and asked him, hey, what's going on? He goes, uh, I've, I've got to get this uh, uh, footbridge across, I think he said the Rhine, but I'm not sure on that. Uh, by the morning, or I'm going to be court-martialed. And I, he, my dad said, well, why about all those, um, your guys back there? He said, they won't go out. I've already lost three guys today, and they're, they're, um, they're afraid to go out. So my dad just looked at him puzzled and said, well, I don't know how to build a footbridge, but uh, if you go with me, I'll help you. Yeah. So they, um, for some reason, they dug a hole and put all their personal stuff in it so their buddies could go get it in case they didn't make it back. They went out that night and he said um, the the skies were so bright from what he called screaming memes, which were German rockets, I yeah, think. The buzz bombs. And um, they, they didn't even need to use light. So they got the bridge done and when they got back, 
uh, all of the uh, footbridge builders, if you will, uh, when they got back, they were all gone. And he told me that story many, many times, but I only asked him once. And I said, Dad, why is it that you volunteered to go when the people that were responsible to do it and knew how to do it were there and you didn't know how? And he just looked at me dumbfounded and paused and, and said, well, if I didn't do it, who would have? Yeah. And to me, that was a life lesson to me. Absolutely. And what, whatever it has been in my life, if something needs to be done and I'm capable of doing it, uh, and it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, I'll do it if yeah. I've been asked to do it. And I think that is a perfect story of an example of what that generation would do. If it needed to be done, they just did it. Sure. Well, and they're the generation who, you know, came through the Depression and all that. So they, they definitely had the background. And before you brought up your father, the, the other answer to your question about what gets me into this is my grandfather served, and he never spoke about it at all because he worked grave registration. And taking that and then how well the Band of Brothers personalized and humanized the stories that they told. For me, it's just thinking, wow, somebody, not just somebody, but millions of somebodies literally went through this. This isn't make-believe. This really happened. And just, I don't know, it's just, to me, true stories always entertain me and grab a hold of me more than fiction. I'd much rather read a biography or watch a semi-biographical movie over fiction or make-believe it just whenever you hear something that's just crazy or heroic or just sad whatever and you think wow not only did this really happen but that person existed and then a lot of times even if it's not world war ii if it's a, a based on a true story i will go on the internet and i'll track the person see what they really look like and read the history up on them and it's just the history side and the fact that these events really happened and people really lived and died through them it's just I don't know, just, and the fact that my grandfather was there, just, this is the closest we can get, you know, there used to be a, an old saying, if you want to learn something about somebody, you got to walk a mile in their shoes. Well, thank God we're not experiencing the horrors of war, but we do walk a mile in our boots. And so this is our way of getting to know them. That's true. And my father was not one with a lot of words and definitely not one to cry. In fact, I've never seen a tear in his eye besides one day. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, go on a father-son trip um, for two and a half weeks, almost two and a half weeks, uh, on a World War II um, tour uh, for the 61st anniversary of D-Day. So... I remember it clearly that uh, we were standing on the beaches of Omaha and he said just real quiet and I, I didn't really ask many questions just because you could just tell by the look on his face that he was remembering a lot of things mm -hmm. so I just let him be at peace with that and he said yep this is where it was and then he paused, and a couple seconds later, he said, but it didn't look beautiful like that then. Yeah. And the water and tears were coming down, and he said, the water was red. 
And that's all I said. Um, but one thing that I would also say that was uh, a great experience that same day, actually, a Frenchman came up and uh, he asked my father if he landed on this particular beach. And he said yes. And he got down on one knee. Wow. And thanked him and presented him a uh, 50 cal um, bullet that he scuba dived and got out of um, off the shores. Um, So I was pleased to see how thankful the French still are, Mm -hmm. at least in that area, uh, about what our country helped uh, help them get their freedom back. You know, it never had a it never had a meaning to me back then because I was in middle school and I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. And I don't know how it happened. My principal somehow knew the Prince of Belgium, and he actually came to our school and was talking. And I'm, you know, once again, this is back in the early '90s, and I really didn't have any interest in history back then. I'm sure a lot of what he spoke about that day was probably about, you know, what we our nation did to help them. But I want to go back. You're saying something very cool. In any second now, it's going to be the 3 o'clock boom-booms because on the hour, every hour, just like the weather, traffic, and news here on the What's the Scope Up podcast, the friends over at Second Armor like to blow off some rounds. So here momentarily, you'll probably hear some more banging. But you're talking about how you and your son get to go out and create memories. And it's kind of what you guys do today is almost the closest thing that you can recreate to a 1950s, 1960s childhood moment with a father and son back when they used to go camping and fishing and spending those long weekends together. You know, now that one of the other things you and I have in common is we're both in IT. And when you work in IT, there is no office hours um, for the most part. You know, a lot, yes, more often than not, we work a nine to five, but if a server crashes at 2 in the morning, guess where you're at at 2 in the morning? You're there getting that server back up before the next business day starts. And a lot of times when you're doing work and businesses, you have to do it off hours. So you end up working a lot of weekends. And, and everybody does that. And what I'm getting at, too, is nowadays, the fathers and sons, they don't get to spend the weekends doing a shared, common event or hobby as they once did. I think if more fathers and sons did that, we'd have a lot less uh, juvenile delinquents running around and, and a lot of the problems that we're facing as a society today. And uh, we're looking at what German reenactor hit. He, he was in Georgia. Both his sons are here. Um, they're at every event together. And Absolutely. Sam Howe and his daughter. Uh, you know, she does a lot of these living history things. And so it, that's definitely a cool thing about living history, too, is for the, the parents who are lucky enough that they're Mike Blosky and his daughter are here today. Um, for those who kids have been around it long enough that uh, they enjoy doing it too. Yeah, I would say that in today's world and forever, it's very important to have a father figure. And there's many ways to be a father, but this is a way to get away with, in this case, my son, uh, and just be the two of us. Um, I think that will go a long way to set those memories. But we don't just camp. We primitive camp yep. or period camp, if mm-hmm. you will. We're slip, sleeping in World War II 
sleeping bags. Mm-hmm. We're sleeping on, if we get to, World War II cots. We're sleeping in World War II tents. Um, with few exceptions, everything we do is relatively period correct, and that makes it more exciting for him. Yep. And for you parents out there, um, I've said in the past, one of my other favorite things about throwing this, especially being in IT, this is one of the only times that it's acceptable for my family. Well, it's for my family to think it's acceptable for me to turn my cell phone off. <laughs> and so hmm. this is this is the one time that I can truly get away from technology for 48, 72 hours. I, I'll turn my phone on twice a day just to call, check in the home, make sure I have any emergency voicemails, and then I turn it off. I turn it on the long enough to and part of that is because of battery life but you know i turn on long enough to take photos and film a video and then i turn it off and i don't get it back out until later and that really helps in the case of like you're saying father and son together time because one of the things you know my 13 year old daughter she just always constantly whether she's watching youtube playing xbox there's technology's always there and so that's another nice thing about these events is you know, for the most part, the cell phone's out of their hand longer than it's in. I tell you another thing that's great is, as I said earlier in our talk, he helped me make several things. For yeah. instance, that D-Day map. A lot of the um, scrolled out uh, battleships and airplanes that we made, he did himself. So he, it's not just that... Uh, setting up the temping and uh, uh, sleeping in it, it's setting up the display. It's arranging the box and to make it look as realistic as possible. He loves it just as much as I do. And that mean, that says a lot right there. And don't overlook the fact that not only are you guys spending time together and not only are you creating memories, but you are doing the ultimate father figure job and you are teaching your son a skill. I don't know. I haven't been in high school since 1997. I imagine a lot of them don't have wood shops anymore. I don't think you can go to high school and run a table saw, a band saw, a router. Only routers you're running in high school says Linksys for Cisco in the front. But you're teaching your kid a tradable skill. Yes, you guys are bonding. You're making cool stuff for a hobby. But you're teaching them how to use power tools. You're teaching them how to use a band saw, how to read a tape measure. You're teaching him stuff that... When I worked in radio, we had college interns who didn't know how to use jumper cables. <laughs> At the beginning of every college intern course, someone would have to line them all up out in the parking lot and throw all the radio bands and show them how to use jumper cables. And it's like you got 19, 20 year olds who can't even jump a car, yet you're teaching your 16 year old son how to run a band saw, table saw, a and router. I teach him how to use Google to say, okay, here's how we. Uh, search how to do this but together we strip down rifles we uh, work on the jeep Mm -hmm. so a lot of skills that um, have grown just because of this but the most important um, um, skill that I feel he has learned from this is the understanding of honoring those that are older than him but more importantly those that have served so make it mandatory that whenever he sees someone with a veteran hat on that he sticks his hand out and thanks them for his service Um, uh, that goes so far that it has extended to 
now he opens doors for people at restaurants. Yeah. It, I feel that society has lost that chivalry. Yes. Decorum. Um, we need decorum. And, and respect for others. People just take things for granted mm-hmm. today. And in doing this helps us put things in perspective. And before we wrap it up with you, one of the other things that, um, for example, you did today is, yes, we're here to share history and preserve history, but we're here to learn. Today, Chris, he showed you how to completely tear down an M1919, and not only were you and Josh but they're studying, but you had your cell phone out <laughs> recording it so you could refer back to it later because there's a guy with years of knowledge on how to make that thing run and he could have been a jerk to dad go home watch a video but no he took his time he sat down and you guys were both into it and you you got an education today and he got to be an educator today as far as chris and that's just another nice thing about this community too is everybody's so willing to share the knowledge yeah and the the you you get really close friendships uh, with the people in your unit that will last forever. Um, one thing that I, I have started to, to notice is that the Germans and the American camps really don't mingle no, that much. Don't. However, we get along just fine. Yeah. Um, but they stay in their camp, we stay in our camp. I don't really know why, but that's the way it <sighs> is. Know. Like I got here last night and, um, uh, I didn't know. By the way, um, we do have a great Vietnam display here this week. It's at the top of the hill. they got a fire base. They're dug in. They're doing helicopter rides. Uh, you wouldn't know it walking around because there's no signage. But, um, and by the time you guys hear this, the event will be over. But shout out to uh, Art and Sam for setting up that Vietnam fire base up there. Patrick and his crew. But back to what you're saying. I got here last night. And, you know, World War II armor, they got their own thing going because they got so much stuff they got to do. They're they're not here as reenactors. They're they're here as a company i mean they got a mission they got so much responsibility that they're they're in work mode all weekend you know we're all out here kind of relaxing it's a mini vacation with history on top these guys are out here working so they're doing their own thing and art and sam are up on top of the hill i didn't know they're here and um you weren't here and the germans were over there i want to hey guys what are you doing trying to keep warm okay i was so happy to see the boys from georgia were here we just spent you know three days with them four weeks ago up in lakeland and not only did i hang out with them and you know socialize with them i ended up sleeping in their tent in 38 degree weather because they have a nice um, arctic tent and if they weren't here last night i would have probably been one not only freezing in my tent but i would have just been sitting by myself because there kind of is a little bit of a, a weird segregation when it comes to nighttime activities after these things i just don't get some more so than others yeah. um some events um, they've got big movie screens up yeah. and they're watching World War II movies. They provide food. I, yeah. I actually love all those. Um, two weeks at Day Battlefield, police come out. But uh, there is a, um, I forget, a PTO show. Yeah. So they'll be uh, dancing and singing. and. Um, G- uh, USO. You said PTO. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> USO sorry. Show. sorry. Um, yeah, it just depends on the event. Plus, last night, to be fair to everybody, it was so damn cold that, you know, we couldn't really, unless you were huddled up around the fire. Cool thing was, shout out to either Renegers Flea Market or the Military Vehicle Preservation Society, who, 
they had a band playing last night out on the stage. They're doing a cover band, but it was so cold. There's like maybe five people standing up. But I was sit, able to sit here and cook my steak and have music to listen to. So, you know, they they definitely did the works. They had a band out here playing all night last night, and so it was a good time. But yeah, it would have definitely been a little lonely if the guys from Georgia weren't down here. Jerry Oxley, thank you so much for your time. You were concerned. You did a fantastic job, and I think we did like another 35, 40 minutes. So thank you so much for helping me uh, get the show put together, and thank you for your friendship and uh, what we do together and uh, preserving history and trying to put units together. Thank you very much, and um, I will say the same. The pleasure's all mine. Bye-bye. This has been a Digital 410 production. <laughs>